0: Shalom alechem. welcome to The Shmooze, the Yiddish Book Center's podcast. I'm Lisa Newman, and today I'm visiting with Carrot O'Brien. Writer and a performer, Carrot first began learning Yiddish as a Yiddish Book Center intern in 1994. She received three new play commissions from the Foundation of Jewish Culture for her translations of classic Yiddish plays available on Amazon. Most recently, she translated the memoirs of Clara Klebanova, a Russian-Jewish revolutionary maximalist. Carrot's book Seymour and Miriam... Yiddish theater and radio in the 20th century, is forthcoming from Harvard Judaica. For 10 years, she studied Yiddish theater and performance with Luba Kedison, Boloff, the last surviving member of the Vilna troupe. Carrot is translating Sholomash's play, Plays of My People, a collection of four dramas that explore Jewish identity from the acclaimed playwright of God of Vengeance. Welcome. Um, I've been really hoping to have a chance to visit with you here on the Schmooze and appreciate your taking time between your uh time here at the center for the translation workshop
1: oh i'm thrilled i, I love to have conversations like this and to have them recorded is just a, wonderful
0: um so i have a bazillion questions for you oh i love that um uh, but let me f- ask first i mean i've known about you we've had brief conversations and i just love to know how did you find your way here in 1994
1: well, this was interesting. Um, I had developed an interest in Yiddish literature uh, as a high school student by reading plays. I mean, by reading novels in translation. First, Besheva Singer, which we read in American Lit class, and I really loved his work so much that I went to the Boston Public Library and um, started reading all the Yiddish writers in translation. And I came across the works of Chaim Grade, and I his book, uh, My Mother's Sabbath Days, just moved me so much. I had the thought, oh, I I want to learn Yiddish. And When I went to university, I went to Boston University. My parents didn't want me to major in um, theater, which had been my lifelong passion. So um, I said, "Oh, I went to a make your own major program—the university professors' program—and I decided to major in Yiddish literature. And um, there were no classes at BU in Yiddish, so I started taking Hebrew. And you know, I really wanted to learn Yiddish. I didn't know how to learn Yiddish, uh, but my advisor was on the sixth floor of the School of Theology. And um, just by coincidence, there was some university professor program offices there. So one day I was going to meet my advisor, and I walked down the hallway, and I was kind of pondering, like, how am I, you know, Hebrew's good, and I'm really enjoying the class, but where's this, how am I going to get to learn Yiddish? There was a poster on the wall of the School of Theology that said, get paid to learn Yiddish, work with Yiddish books. And it was like it was something I had conjured up. Nobody gave it to me. It was the only poster anywhere on ca- campus. I was only there because I was meeting with this one professor. And I applied and um, I was accepted. It was the internship at the Yiddish Book Center. They paid us, I think, $1,500 for the summer, and then they gave us money to rent an apartment. And it was just an incredible experience.
0: So those are the really early days. Yes. Yeah. Um, and just briefly, Can you talk a little bit about that? Because it's so different from the internship now, and yet um, was a great foundation.
1: Well, you know, even they they like to interview us all in person, so I took the bus down for the interview to see if I'd be accepted, after writing an intensive, you know, several essays as well. And Niels Gorin and Jeffrey Aronofsky interviewed me in the warehouse in Holyoke. And we spent our days in Holyoke, in the warehouse, using the forklifts, moving the books around, opening boxes of books shelving the books. We had a wonderful Yiddish teacher, um, Der Lehrer, we called him, but his name was Robert Moses Shapiro. And he was he was fantastic. He gave us an hour or so of lessons in the morning. And then we worked with the books in the afternoon. So From there, um, and also at some point I'd love to touch on, you had an interesting
0: cohort of people in that 1994. Maybe we'll come back to that. But I'd kind of love to know how it sent you, and I think it's fair to say it did send you in the direction of Yiddish translation, performance, and all of the myriad things that you do that are related.
1: Yes. Well, after my book center um, uh, experience, I went to Jerusalem, to Hebrew University of Jerusalem for a year and started taking Yiddish classes there, finally. And then um, when I came back to Boston, because of Aaron Lansky's introduction, I was able to um, take a Yiddish theater class with Ruth Weiss. And in that class, we read um, several plays in Yiddish, including Sholem Asha's God of Vengeance. And when I went to New York, I, my day job, because I spoke Yiddish, was writing a website on the Yiddish theater for NYU. By just I, Because I worked at the Yiddish Book Center, I knew that there were dozens of books written in Yiddish about the history of the Yiddish theater. So I just began opening them and translating them. And then at night, I worked on this, with this little storefront theater on Ludlow Street run by Aaron Bell, who founded the uh, Fringe Festival. And, you know, I did Richard Foreman plays and New Verse plays. And then somebody was doing a production of God of Vengeance. So I said, I've never seen it. I got to go see it. And it was in English. And I went to see it. And it was just... It was just terrible. And so I just, you know, I felt the ghost of Sholomash rise from the floorboards and look at me, the only person in the audience who'd actually read his play in the original and said, you know that this is not my play. And it was a really, it was an unforgettable moment. It was just so upsetting. And, uh, you know, it felt like an artistic injury to the work of this great man. So I was talking and complaining to Aaron about it afterwards. And we were sitting at Katz's Deli sharing a sandwich and going on and on and on. He finally stopped me. He said listen, okay, I get it. It was a bad translation. Why don't you translate it yourself? And I was like, why don't I translate it myself? So I, I did, and he produced it in Show World um, a couple years later, Times Square, the Go-Go Stage, former strip club, which was the perfect location for a play about a brothel owner. And then it, it, it all grew from there.
0: I've, I've heard through the grapevine that it's an amazing translation. Thank you, um, and one that everybody refers to within our universe um and also have to ask you if you can talk a little bit about show world, which I guess uh that was kind of crazy
1: yeah it was it was when you know Giuliani was mayor, and there was these new zoning laws that you couldn't have um Naked women dancers or strippers um, in within certain number of feet from a school, but so in order to keep the video porn, which is like the twenty-five cent slot machines in with your in your booths on the first floor, keep them going, which were apparently very lucrative. They needed some cultural programming, but the only rule was, and this was not usually the case in the theaters that I worked in, uh, the women couldn't be naked or the men either. So. We were the first show there, one of the first shows there, doing rehearsing God of Vengeance. And I was dressed as a turn-of-the-century prostitute with, like, peroxide hair and a corset and, you know, really low-cut outfit. And we'd still have these Japanese tourists or foreign tourists coming in looking for the old show world, and I'd be screaming at them because it was just the whole experience was so creepy, and I was trying to rehearse and be like, no live girls, no live girls, because they didn't speak English right. either often. So it was a very weird um, place to work in. But it certainly had a lot of color and a lot of history, and it was very dark as well. And we had, you know, really exciting, um, interested Jewish intellectuals and just people, intellectuals in general, and people who were interested in gay rights and gay theater. So it really brought in a a whole new type of audience to Show World.
0: Kind of interesting that there was that sort of surrounding context that related in
1: parallel to to the play, no? Yes. Yeah, it was. I mean, it, you could really, you know, the the, the play is about, uh, you know, several Jewish prostitutes t- telling their life story. And Sholomash had been a professional letter writer in the years before he wrote this play. So he really heard some incredible stories. And um, it was very believable that the woman on stage had lived through the, the tales that they were telling. I understand that I've been told, is
0: hard to translate, Ash, because people have issues with his use of
1: language. I don't know. I mean, I don't. I find him easier to translate in, than other writers because he has such a dramatic sense and he really knows how to push a story forward. So it, it kind of flows from there. One of the most difficult things about translating sometimes are the religious references that his audience would know and, and how to make that work for a contemporary audience, Um, yeah. And
0: you are a 2019 Yiddish Book Center translation fellow, which is what brings you here today, um, for your second workshop. And you're working on additional plays. Yes,
1: I am. Uh, When I translated God of Vengeance and then realized he'd written 22 full-length plays, my, my dream and my hope was to translate his complete works. Uh, I ended up doing two more after God of Vengeance, Modka Thief, and uh, a one-act version of The Dead Man. And so, uh, actually, it was getting back to doing the Clara Klebanova memoir. um, That was a a work for hire that I did. Um, And it was for Peter Kleban, a a professor in Maine. And it was about the story of a relative of his, and it was such a gripping tale with such a strong narration that you know it made translation fun for me again, and i I had stopped translating or producing theater um when my son was born, so I said, you know what? i really want to I really want to get back on this project of translating all of Ash, and I thought i'd take a big chunk of well, if I can do one of his collections because his books have been published uh, as collections over the years in yiddish um, and then there was these four plays that he called his national dram and his um nationalistic plays, and that 's why I translated it as plays of Place of my people, and they're four totally different, exciting works um, that take place about the Jewish community at the beginning of the 20th century, just before World War One, at the beginning of World War One, and just after World War One. Mm. So they're dark. They um, they really create a world that we we don't think of much anymore, and they're full of intellectual dreams and hopes and passions for. Um, what his characters believed the future of Jews in the world would be. Is it interesting to reflect back
0: now to see what he wrote then and see how it no
1: no pun intended played out? Yes, it's very prescient. Mm-hmm. Um, for instance, there's one play in a, in a play called The Road to Zion. He has a character uh, Justina who's very much in love with being Polish, even though she's Jewish, and she loves the gorgeous landscape of Poland, and. Um, In the play, she has a monologue about how important it is to be Polish and how beautiful the land is. But she's also in the midst of a psychotic break, and she's losing her mind. And that's what it was like for a Jewish person who was experiencing increasing anti-Semitism but thought of this as their country, Poland. And, you know, so he really captures that symbolically in that character. And that's a play that's about—there's a character who's a Zionist, there's a character who's a communist, which is about what's the best way to go. And— what makes Ash great, of course, is he asks all the questions, but he doesn't give you any
0: answers. It's just on the tip of my tongue to say I think that they you know, my small takeaway, because I can only um, read the plays or see the plays in English, um, is that there's symbolism, there's metaphor, but also that he leaves it open ended for the audience. Um, he does. To try to figure out, which I think is so it's so strong. I mean, it it leaves you responsible for trying to ask some of those questions.
1: Yes. And, and he he writes about, he has a gorgeous monologue from the old patriarch who's about to leave his family in Poland to basically go with his wife to Palestine to die, because he wants to be in the, buried in the Holy Land and the, near the graves of, you know, the great Jewish ancestors. And he's confronted with a family who's unrecognizable to him as a traditional Jewish family. They have, you know, they're sexual, secularists or um, assimilationists or Zionists or whatever they are, but he loves them. And he, he makes this beautiful monologue about the Jewish tree and that he's the trunk of the tree and all these different branches of Jewish life have come out of him. And um, it's a very moving moving um, part of the... The play and deals with so much of the
0: complexity then, now, and yes. likely in the future about the uh, yeah
1: yeah. I mean, it, it, Ash um, of course had a house in Israel in the fifties, and and he had a very lo- loving relationship with the land. But he was also aware of um, the conflicting viewpoints, and uh, you know there was a. He had a character who said, listen, you have to have a, a Yiddish part of Jewish life. You can't just forget everything that we built in the diaspora of 2,000 years. And he has a Zionist and, and someone who makes fun of the Zionists and said, what about the Uganda project? Why, why aren't they building uh, you know, a Jewish state in Uganda, which was, which was one of the options at the time?
0: Um, so you alluded to the fact that you performed with some of the the last of the sort of
1: Yiddish stage Um well, the, I, the I studied troupe? with yeah. them. Yes, yeah, so Cadison yeah. L- Buloff was um, such a, uh, an incredible teacher of mine. She was uh, in the original production of the Dibuk. Her father founded the Vilna Troupe. She met her husband, Joseph Buloff, who had a great career on the American stage there. And we worked on the Dibuk and on other plays. She, she did an incredible, with her husband, an incredible Yiddish translation of Death of a Salesman, and we worked on the part of Linda together. She taught me all about the Yiddish literary theater, her experiences. The first play that the Vilna Troupe did was Der Landsmann* by Sholem Ash, and she talked about Ash and she did God of Vengeance opposite Stella Adler, the lesbian love scene uh, in the 20s yeah. um, on 2nd Avenue in More Schwartz's theater. So she had a lot to share with me about the style of acting and uh, what made the literature great. And then I also worked with Seymour Rekside, who taught me all about the Yiddish musical theater. He, together with his wife, Miriam Cresson, had a radio show for Maxwell House Coffee that ran for over 50 years with the two of them, same sponsor. And they were among the first, if not the first, to... um, show the relationship between the Yiddish musical theater scene and the Broadway musical theater scene, which they felt is very much part of the same tradition and how so many of the great American English language composers had the same bio as the Yiddish language composers. Yiddish speakers, grew up in the Lower East Side, went to Juilliard. And, and, and he had personal memories of um, artists from Broadway being influenced by the Yiddish theater and back and forth. And his wife, Miriam, would translate all the hit parade songs all the Broadway musicals into Yiddish that they would then perform and they these songs work of course beautifully in Yiddish so as
0: you sort of like went from here to there and um began to pursue this and immerse yourself in it what were some of the surprises and what do you what do you carry with you in terms of legacy and moving it forward and evolving it or reimagining it
1: Well, Yiddish studies, and especially Yiddish artistic studies, Yiddish theater studies, or translation work, it's such a fertile ground of untapped material. Really, everybody who's learning Yiddish today can find a very important writer or a very important artist or a very important playwright to translate for the first time because so much of this work wasn't done because of the Holocaust, because of the decline of Yiddish and for reasons that your audience knows well. So that makes it very exciting to be able to work on this material. Um, for the Seymour Project, for instance, I helped rescue his archives and got them to Harvard where they digitized 1,200 radio shows and I, I was able to listen to them. Um, and that's the, the Yiddish Radio Project, yeah? No, that's or, not the Yiddish or, Radio Project. This is um, the Seymour Rexite archives oh, okay. at Harvard Judaica. and. Uh, So hopefully those will be Mm -hmm. available online at some point. But right now you have to go to the library to listen to them. But a huge resource of not just the Yiddish theater, but how the American theater and the Yiddish theater were connected. When I first started working as an actor in New York, I, I knew a little bit about Yiddish theater, and I'd be like, well... You know, Maury Schwartz is amazing, right? He had the longest-running repertory theater company in New York City history in any language. Don't you think he's amazing? And I'd meet directors, whether they were Jewish-American or Irish-American, and they wouldn't have any idea who I was talking about. I mean, this was a guy who ran a 3,000-seat theater on 2nd Avenue for 30-plus years, and people didn't... And I couldn't get over the fact of... Here I was trying to craft some sort of artistic identity for myself. I was just one person, and there was this whole movement of incredible artists that... Wouldn't knew anything about or if they knew about yiddish theater they thought it was borscht belt stuff and they would laugh or think it was a joke um i've noticed how much that's changed in the 20 25 years since i've started in large part due to the yiddish book center and the work that you guys have done and that has been tremendously gratifying and um, there's now several yiddish theaters in new york there's the Folksbina. there's um, the new Yiddish rep, Shane Baker, a wonderful actor that I love working with, is is doing original work uh, through the Jewish of Congress for Jewish Culture. There's another man, An- Alan Lewis Rickman, who has his own company where that performs primarily in Yiddish. So there's so much opportunity and there's so much conversation happening around not just um, Yiddish artists uh, of the past, right. but people who are artists, American artists of the present, working and inspired by them. In fact, I'm workshopping a play, this is fantastic, written by two beautiful actresses that I performed in God of Vengeance with in Yiddish when we did a Yiddish production of it. And they both grew up in the Hasidic community, one in Israel and one in Williamsburg. They were married. They left their marriages, they left their relationships, and they're now completely secular artists. And they've written what I think is, for the first time in decades, I'm not even sure how long, a play in Yiddish about a young mother who leaves her abusive husband and is, because of the rabbinical courts and the communities there, is kept away from all of her children. And finally through her work, working with a lawyer and a social worker, a social worker engineers a a face-to-face meeting between this this young woman and her uh, relatives, her mothers in law one of her children. And it's just an explosive play and a really intimate look at the the values and the conversations and the truths and untruths of the um, Satmar Hasidic community in Williamsburg today. And I think it's, a, it's an important play, and I think it'll get produced in Yiddish, but with English subtitles. Mm-hmm. So we're having now, because of the religious communities, in a, an ironic way, a new generation of artists who are leaving the religious life, just like Sholomash did 100 years before them, and are crafting an artistic identity for themselves it i mean
0: and you you mentioned that these are you're sort of pushing new work forward and you're taking those roots but you're you're evolving them it's like any art form or culture it, literature moves forward art moves forward uh you know music moves forward and to see what's going on
1: with the work that you and all of these others are doing is it's very heady and exciting. It is. It is. I, I want to just tell you the names of those playwrights so you can mm-hmm. keep a look at them. It's a Melissa Weiss and Malky. Um, I'm not sure what last name she's going by now, but they're, they work together. They call themselves Malky Squared Productions. And um, it's it's tremendously exciting to see how a younger generation of artists are interpreting Yiddish work and also coming up with original new Yiddish work. Mm-hmm. I right. mean, it's the the future is... It's unexpectedly rich. It is. Um, Nick, you have Irish roots? I do.
0: Can you talk a little bit about what intersections or.
1: I can, definitely. Um, I was born in in Galway, Ireland, and my grandfather was born on the Aran Islands. And um, people know the Aran Islands because uh, John Millington Singh, the Irish playwright, did the Playboy of the Western World, was based on. his time spent in the Aran Islands, and when when Sing was living in the Aran Islands, nobody spoke English there, and so but he wrote his play in English, peppered with all these Irish expressions. And in fact, when it was finally produced in 1906 at the Abbey, there were riots on the street because they said, "There's no Irish people like that." So it was a very um, similar. Feeling of when I was translating Sholomash, which is also a play that caused riots because there's said no Jewish people were prostitutes or were like that, I wanted to leave in an element of Yiddish, whether it's just a few phrases or a few words, uh, the way that Singh did when he was translating his plays. Um, so it, when I was growing up in Galway and, and later Dublin, there, I knew very much the the effect of a minority language on the majority language, I knew that the greatness of Oscar Wilde or the greatness of W. B. Yeats was because of the Irish undertones of the language, and I could see it in my own grandfather, who was a policeman, and he was very taciturn when he spoke in English, which was not his first language. But when the relatives came over from the Islands and he had long conversations in in Irish Gaelic, they were just he was just became a different person. He became alive and expressive and interesting and and funny, and so. When I my family moved to America and I was at uh, an all girls Catholic high school in Massachusetts, and I started studying um, American literature. Not just even before I got to Singer and Grata, there was Philip Roth, Saul Bellow, Bernard Malamud, and and I really liked these writers and I identified to their humor and their their dealing with poverty and their immigration tales and their sense of dislocation and persecution, and um, I figured out pretty quickly that they were all Yiddish speakers or their descendants. And I was like, oh, I see. A 20th century American letters or American writing has a secret language too, just like Ireland did. And instead of Irish, it's it's Yiddish. And with that kind of facile, you know, young mind thought, um, it led to all of this exploration. But it proved out to be true, you know, when I, because I was learning Yiddish and spoke Yiddish when I was in college, I was able to speak Yiddish with them. Um, I studied with Elie Wiesel, spoke Yiddish with Saul Bellow. Um, I spoke to Harold Bloom in Yiddish. So I had all of this, uh, you know, access and entryway because I was uh, speaking the language but also seeing the connection in a way that perhaps was easier for an outsider to see. When I'm listening to
0: you and you're talking about Ash, and I'm thinking about the plays that I know, or the work,
1: he was like a Roth, no? Oh, yes, definitely. Is that
0: okay to ask that question? Yeah,
1: well, listen... So, there's so much that I love about Sholmash as a writer. Uh, first of all, he was an interfaith pioneer. You know, he was trying to, and you see it in his plays, he was he was always against war. He was always against people reconciling, and he was always for allowing people to have a wide variety of belief systems and for people to be allowed to call themselves whatever they wanted to call themselves. I mean, I grew up uh, in a very Catholic environment, um, o- only went through Catholic schooling, and, you know, st- experienced and saw the deep tragedies of the modern church in America and the uh, firsthand and so, rejection of language latin okay rejection of language yes but also you know abuse mm-hmm. of children and and so on mm-hmm. and so forth so his rage at the use of culture or religion to hide abuse was something that I deeply identified. He went after hypocrites wherever he saw them, whether they were capitalists or whether they were rabbis. Uh, he was looking for the truly decent person no matter where they found themselves in society. And he was also so socially progressive, he would write about um, you know, the abuses of capitalism, the abuses of the worker, and he would make human beings of everybody, including perhaps what we might think of as the bad guys or the criminals. Uh, and that's a universal problem. Uh, so and that's what made him such a universal writer. And he courted controversy. He was lionized at the early start of his career. You know, he was certainly as famous as Philip Roth. And then when he started writing Christological novels about Mary and the uh, Jesus and Paul the Apostle, and the timing of those coming during the Holocaust was too much for the Yiddish community to bear. And they... Um, They ostracized him, basically, as as he was developing a huge audience in English. So definitely that is an understandable pain. I think it was misplaced to be directed to Ash, but I think the time has also come for him to be um, welcomed back and recognized as the truly Jewish pioneer that he was. Yeah, I mean, it seems like those are
0: inter- in the same way that Roth or Bellow deal with those sort of inner conversations. They're universal themes, but they're inner conversations about how do you wrestle with what that identity is and all that's associated with it. Yes. Which can become very problematic for some people when you – yeah, when it's out there. That's that's why I just sort of all of a sudden
1: was like, hmm. Yeah, and the sexuality in Osh is, yes. is, is yeah, is, it definitely gives Philip Roth sexuality a yeah, exactly. run for his money. Yeah. Um,
0: so last quick question for you. Um, so all these many years later, um, could you ever have imagined
1: that seeing that poster <laughs> would take you here? Um, gosh, Yes. You know, I just fell in love with the literature right away, and I just knew how great it was, just like the way I knew the Irish language literature was great, or was raised to believe that it was great, and it truly was. And and it's just the magic of, of following, you know, um, I have an internal system that guides what I do, and there's just something that, oh, this feels really right, and so I do it. And... It felt really right to, you know, to have that idea and then to have see that someone else had had the idea to teach people Yiddish, and I just had to go and sign up. Uh, it's been a, a rich and wonderful and totally unique um, journey. I remember the first time I met Lubbock Um I had gone through her archives at Harvard University, and I read her memoir, which was about founding a theater during wartime and how difficult that was, but it saved her father's life. One of the plays that I'm translating is basically about how the Jews of Kovno, Lithuania were given 24 hours to leave or be killed. And Luba experienced that firsthand. She was seven years old, and her father went into a deep depression. And the Vilna troop came out of that depression. It was her her mother's idea, um, along with some other um, German Jewish soldiers, to start something and, and get him involved. And that had a huge transformative effect on the world. And after, I was so just amazed by what she had done artistically with her life and the most dire of circumstances that I said to her, she's like, well, what are you going to do with your life, young Irish woman? Mm -hmm. And I said, you know, I want to, without even thinking, I said, I want to have a life like yours. And she looked shocked, and she had to think about that for a minute. And then she turned to me and she said, "Um, you know, it was a very... Rich life. I had a very rich life, but it was also difficult. And I was like, yeah, 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 sure. It was a very rich life. If I want to have a life like that, mean, meaning rich mm-hmm. in experience. And certainly the artistic path is challenging, even in a, a country that's not going through war. Um, but it's, you know, you're never poor or you're never desperate if you have a good play to work on or a good project to translate or a an idea to write out, or something to perform. And um, I didn't quite understand then what she was telling me, but I I understand it a little bit better now.
0: Well, thank you for pursuing this path of excitement um, because we're the beneficiaries of your insights and your work, which are really tremendous. So thank you.
1: Oh, thank you so much, Lisa. I, I can't say how much the support of the Yiddish Book Center has meant to me over these past 20 years. No institution has supported me, both emotionally and, and you know, practically. Um, and it's nothing that I do in terms of Yiddish. Nothing would have been possible without the support of the Book Center mm-hmm. and all the dreams that you make possible for people to to realize their art and to pay homage to the to the great artists that were almost lost. Thank you, thank you. Um,
0: And in your many capacities, we're looking forward to welcoming you back to the center for your third uh, translation workshop, but uh, more Uh, more importantly, or not more importantly, but also in addition, um, you're going to be presenting as part of one of our weekend programs, which is the Plays of Sholemash. It's November 1 through 3. Here at the Yiddish Book Center, you'll be with David Mazauer, great-grandson of the writer, Sholem Ash, also our bibliographer and editorial director, among many other things. And Joel Berkowitz from the Digital Yiddish Theater Project. So we're really looking forward to that.
1: Yeah, oh, so am I. And there's going to be some new scenes hot off the presses in English that I hope the participants will be performing with for the first time um, as part of uh, the work. So I'm really, really excited. Great. Well, now I'm going to let you eat lunch. Thank you. Okay, <laughs> bye. <laughs> You've been listening to The Schmooze, a production of the Yiddish Book Center in Amherst, Massachusetts. To subscribe to this and other podcasts, visit YiddishBookCenter.org. I'm Sarah Blakefeld. Be well, be healthy, and tune in again soon.